0: New Living. And if you, uh, yeah, that's what's in your notebooks. You're welcome to read it out of whatever version. But this is what we're going to be reading from up here. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, very good. Y'all can have a seat. It's cool, huh? I like it. See, we couldn't do that in past Wednesday night Bible studies because we would do a chapter at a time and... It was, that's just a long thing to, so we kind of just thought that will kind of ground us, and <coughs> since we don't have as many verses to cover. Um, before we start unpacking it, I just want to say this, te- give you this teaching note. Um, no matter where you approach Bible study, whether this is like your first time or it's your 12th time to study Ephesians. I just invite you to come into this process with what I call holy curiosity. So as you are um, reading the word and as we're gathering here for this hour, I just want you to kind of be open to ask questions of the spirit as we read. Uh, Invite him to interpret and to convict and to guide you and to delight you Whatever it is that you might need, because the deal is, we're not going to answer every question you might have in, you know, 50 minutes in this many verses. We're just not going to have the time, and I'm not that good of a teacher. Honestly, I think you should be afraid of teachers who promise that they'll answer all your questions. Um, kind of be leery of that. Um, but the big question, um, that I want us all to approach God with is, God, what do you want me to understand from this? Um, And how can this form me into a closer image of your son Jesus? I think if you have those two questions, no matter what you're studying, no matter how difficult or how, how familiar, I think those two questions, God always has something to surprise us in those questions. So just keep in mind that we're going to tackle this um, uh, book with holy curiosity, OK? So the book of Ephesians, um, everyone got some notes. They were on, They were back there. Um, there are some places where you will fill in the blank. And then there's also some questions that you can just answer. And there's places for you just to take notes if you want. Um, uh, few big ideas as we enter chapter one. Um, the Bible project video. Um, I, I didn't say this when I got up, but isn't that a, isn't that satisfying to watch as they're drawing? It's like I just like get so like into the way they're drawing all the all the stuff. I don't. I, it, it's it amazes me how they do that. But um, Tim Mackey is the Bible teacher who puts those together. And I went through his um, teaching series. It was like a six-hour series on Mm -hmm. the Bible project on Ephesians this summer. And so I just want to say that's the main, like, commentary that I used um, to um, kind of approach this book. But one of the things Tim Mackey says is that the purpose of this whole book is about... One thing, it's about the reconciliation of ethnic groups into one unified people. That's the purpose of this letter that Paul wrote. Um, I want you to pay attention to one, number two thing I want to tell you. Pay attention to this. There's a beautiful thread woven through these six chapters, and it's this idea of unity. Um, You'll see that in the word one. You'll see it in this phrase, becoming one. You can kind of, you're going to hear Paul's uh, desire for the church at Ephesus to be unified. And that's something I think that is very relevant for um, 2023. And the third thing to a big idea is that this is a book about understanding and living out the gospel of Christ. So the first three chapters in review from last week is our theological. So it's kind of about God. And it's going to help us know and understand and comprehend what God did through Jesus. So it's kind of theological. The last three chapters, very practical. So it's going to, chapter four is a response to the first three. Um, It's going to give us calls to action, very practical things we can do in our life. And then it's also going to ask, finally at the end, a response to our own revelation of what has been shared in this letter. Okay, So it's kind of cool. Out of all Paul's letter, it's the most uh, elegant in design. Like, I'm not even going to go there. But if you want to, on the Bible Project, on their website, not on their app, you can listen to Tim Mackey preach about this, or teach about this. He's teaching a class, and oh, it blew my mind how everything is like, it's like this connects to this and this part of the chapter, and it's just pretty profound what Paul did with this letter. So, all right, are y'all ready? First two verses, we're going to answer a lot of WH questions, okay? Who, what, where, when, why? All right, just some of the basics. Um, So, and this is a like a back and forth. I'm not just, I want to hear some answers. So, who wrote the letter? Paul. Uh, Who did he write it to? The faithful followers. What are some other um, versions, uh, translations called faithful followers? Do y'all know? The saints. Holy people, saints. Okay, um, do y'all know y'all are saints. You are, and that's kind of a funny word. It's a, kind of an old-fashioned word, but I want you to consider yourself a saint. If you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you're a saint. Isn't that kind of cool? Um, why did he write it? Why did Paul write this? Because there wasn't really kind of a crisis. It wasn't for a particular uh, situation in the life of the church. Do you remember kind of what we said, why he wrote it? Huh? Yeah, he went, well, yes, he wanted to promote unity. Where was he when he wrote this? Do you re- this is like not in the first two verses. He was in prison in Rome. We learned that last week, and it's actually found in chapter one, uh, 3, verse 1 it kind of mentions that he is hanging out in prison. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. All right? So he's in prison. So he has time on his hands, right? <laughs> and um, uh, what is Paul's role we see in verse 1? What do you call Paul? He's an oh. apostle, Okay. Um, What is an apostle? Does anyone know? Did I give it to you in your notes? It's blank? Okay, I can't remember. Sometimes I ask a question and everyone answers all at once and I realize I've given it to you. So an apostle is just one... um, Um, It comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means, or apostolos, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, which means one who is sent out. So it describes a man who is sent out with a special task to do. So Paul goes on to say that he's an apostle through the will of God. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. And one person that I was reading said, um... When you read this, Paul saying, um, I'm chosen by the will of God. You should not read into this arrogance or pride, but rather astonishment. In other places, Paul is always like, I can't believe it's me that God chose to do this. So um, at the end of the day, Paul was amazed that God could have chosen a man like him to do his work. Because remember... Paul actually was the last person you would have thought that would have been spreading the good news of Jesus. He was the one who uh, was persecuting Christians. And so he was always amazed that God chose him to do this good work. Okay. So verse 2, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Okay. So grace and peace. Isn't that, I love grace and peace. They go together. Uh, Grace, this is a Greek word, um, the Greek word for grace. Does anyone know? Charis. Yeah, Charis. Um, Grace always describes a gift. Um, It's a gift which would have been impossible for a person to obtain for themselves and could never have been earned and is in no way deserved. That's what grace is. So whenever you see this word, grace, you know, what we need to think of is the undeserved generos- generosity of the heart of God. Okay? So it's this undeserved gift. Paul's saying, I'm going to give you grace, or grace be yours, and also peace. Peace comes from the Greek word irene. E-I-R-E-N-E. Did I put that there? Yeah. The Hebrew for peace is what? Shalom. Yeah, Shalom. Um shalom implies a sense of wholeness, completeness, safety. Okay? This doesn't mean absence of trouble. Okay? It doesn't mean oh, we live in a peaceful time, there's no war, there's no trouble, no. What it means is what you're saying in the biblical Hebrew understanding of shalom, what you're saying is this, may your may you be full of well-being or may health and prosperity be upon you so it's like a greeting for coming and going so um all through the old testament and new shalom was a greeting that was and it was also a goodbye that was filled with this sense of well-being and blessing on whoever you gave it to so paul is wishing the ephesian church grace and peace. Um, and who gave them the grace and peace? Or who did, is he asking? Is Paul giving him grace and peace? Who? God, our Father of Lord Jesus. Okay? So he's asking God. So it's basically a blessing. Okay? Um, Okay, I have a question for you before we get into this next part, because it kind of all goes together. The next actual eleven verses or or twelve verses. Um, What do you think of when you hear the word apocalypse? I bet you end of the world. Is that is that pretty common? Any any other ideas of prophecy. when you prophecy? Okay. Very good. Unveiling. Okay. So this is my my geek out for the whole book of Ephesians. It happens right here in the first chapter, and um, I think it's pretty cool. And we're going to be um, I definitely am going to be bringing this up each time I study. I mean, uh, teach probably. Surprisingly, Ephesians is apocalyptic. And before I did the Tim Mackey study, I never really connected those two. But what this letter does, it impacts Paul's revelation. And the Greek word for revelation is apocalyptic. Apocalyptis. apocalyptis. Lipsis, sorry, that's a hard thing to say, apocalypsis, all right? That's the Greek for revelation. Um, In Acts 9, the first nine verses of Acts tell the story, and um, Shelby kind of unpacked the story of Paul's revelation from God on the road to Damascus and how it totally transformed his life, made him a new person, even gave him a new new name. Um, really, Paul's like <coughs> conversion, the, the word conversion doesn't even come close to what happened to Paul on that road. It's more of a revelation. It was an apocalypse, <sighs> a total unveiling of everything he thought his eyes were um, clear. He was blind and then he was like the scales fell from his eyes and he was able to see the truth of what Jesus came to do and who Jesus was. It was this revealing and who did that? God did that in his life. He took the veil off so that he could see um the gospel, the good news of the gospel, okay, radically transformed him. So um, basically what Paul is wanting to do is to bring his apocalypse or his revelation, his understanding of who Jesus is and bring that to the Ephesians church so that they can experience their own revelation. So pretty fun fact is that Ephesians is apocalyptic literature because we're going to see this word reveal over and over and over, alright? Apocalypse equals revelation equals transformation, okay? And that is the point of the book of Ephesians is that it is to be a transforming kind of apocalyptic thing. When we meet Jesus, that's what happens, okay? So, um, and just to give this context, Galatians 1, 15 through 16 says, but this is Paul speaking to the uh, the Ephesians church, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal Apocalypsis, his son, to me so that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And then over in chapter 3, Paul says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God revealed or apocalypsed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So this great unveiling, this great revealing, is what Paul is trying to do with the Ephesians. And it's about what he's trying to describe in the next 12 verses. And almost language fails him. It's the most beautiful sentence in the whole New Testament. The next 12 verses is actually in the Greek one sentence, trying to describe the majesty and glory of what Christ did for us. Okay? So, um, uh, The New Living Translation, which is what is in your binders, actually has way more punctuation um, in this um, passage than a lot of translations, just to be able, for our brains to be able to understand it. So, it chunks chunks it and puts punctuation where it wasn't originally in the Greek, okay? Um, It does kind of aid in our being able to comprehend it and understand it in, like, sections. Um, But it's so long and complicated, this one sentence, because it represents not so much a specific statement as a lyrical song of praise. So um, Paul's mind goes on and on, not because he's thinking of a logical, in logical stages, but, because gift after gift, after wonder, after wonder from God passed before his eyes, and he's trying to explain it. It's like this layered approach. And really what we need to read, how we need to read, Ephesians one, verse two through fourteen, is like we're reading poetry, okay? And when you read poetry, Sometimes you have to, like, close your eyes and look at it sideways. (laughs) Okay? It's not like reading um, first this, next this, third this. It's not like that. It is to be absorbed into your body. Okay? So we're going to try and do it both ways. So um, this passage is both a prayer and a blessing. It is poetic It's short, dense, and repetitive. It has what um, Tim Mackey calls elegant symmetry. So it is uh, poems, a lot of poetry. It's very symmetrical and well-structured. And that's the way Paul is writing this, especially in the Greek. That's how it comes out. Um, It is a cascade of dense, beautiful ideas that move us toward an apocalyptic experience. Okay? Paul is trying to explain the Jesus that he met on the road to Damascus. And words fail him. He's trying. Also, this passage gives us the greatest hits of Christian vocabulary. And what it does for us is it provides foundational vocabulary definitions. What is grace? What is mystery? What is um, glory? There's all these words that we're going to, um, that kind of people go back to this passage to be able to define. Okay. As we read, we will also want to note how Paul's Trinitarian experience, y'all know what Trinitarian means? What's the trinity? God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Okay? So Paul, he uses Trinitarian language. He's constantly saying, our God, the Father, through his Spirit, and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. He's like naming all the names to make sure we know it's all the aspects of God that, is, uh, that he's trying to describe. And this comes out in structure. So what he does, is <laughs> pretty cool. The first, like verses 3 through 6, talks about the Father. 7 through 12, talk about the Son. 13 and 14, talk about the Spirit. And at each of the concluding passages, he says either to the praise of his glorious grace or to the praise of his glory He's just like, "Wow, this is awesome." Basically what we would say. God, he's awesome. Jesus, he's awesome. Holy Spirit, he's just incredibly awesome. So that's kind of how the structure is, okay? So, there Now we come to your homework. And if you were here last time, we kind of gave you four questions to think about. Okay? And this is why I gave you those questions last week. And the questions were, um, what do we learn about God from this passage, kind of in actions and character? What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about the Holy Spirit? And what do we learn about our relationship? So if you happen to have time, no shame if you did not, but if you happened to have had time to kind of sit with those questions, now's when we're going to just kind of give me some of your answers, all right? If, you, if you're willing to share a few things that, number one, you learned about God in his actions and character, before mm-hmm. we kind of get into it. We're going to go through these, but I just thought we, this could be a good time for us to kind of share as a, as a class. Anybody? God is rich in kindness. Okay, absolutely. What else about God? He loves us and chose us. We are chosen. We are loved. God did that. Yes, he purchased our freedom. I was looking for my answers. I was like, where are they? What do we learn about Christ in his actions and character? Makes us holy and without fault. Spirit he's powerful guaranteed. Yes, he's guaranteed and in that guaranteeing there he guarantees our inheritance yeah and who are we in in um, relationship to this three-in-one God Do what? We're adopted. We're his kids. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I encourage you to add to this list as we go through the book of Ephesians, who is God? What does he do? How can we tell from these words who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit and who am I in light of that triune relationship, okay? Um, we don't need to get our identity from the world this is where we get our identity and this is how we know who God is is from his word he's telling us right here okay alright so let's start unpacking verse 3 um, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ So, why does God bless us? Because we're united through who? Yeah, yeah, that's that's where our blessing comes. Our blessing comes in the being united with Christ. What does he bless us with? Yes. What does it say that we are blessed with in verse 3, though? He blesses us with? every spiritual blessing. Um, So what we're going to do is gather these blessings kind of like jewels on a necklace as we read through these verses again. Um, Where and how do we receive these spiritual blessings? We receive them where? In the heavenly realms? And without... Um, okay, that's verse 4. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault. So we receive them in the heavenly realm and we are without fault and blameless. So God gives us these blessings. when we. This is what Jesus does for us. When we are united with Christ, there's all kinds of blessings waiting for us that have nothing to do with our effort. We are completely without fault and blameless when we meet Him. And that's God's design for us, okay? So, um, spirit blessing right here, spiritual blessing doesn't mean like physical blessings. It means blessings that the Holy Spirit gives us, okay? It's the source of the blessing So, these are gifts of God's Spirit, these spiritual blessings. Okay? So, what are these spirit given blessings mentioned in this passage? Why don't we just go down? I'm going to read verse 4, and y'all tell me what the spiritual blessing is for that verse. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What's the blessing? We've been, it's our chosenness. That's our blessing. He chose us. He elected us. He picked us out from the beginning. And through Christ, we can be holy and blameless. Uh, Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So what is our spiritual blessing? We've been adopted, just like um, Dawn said. We are adopted as God's children. We are called sons and daughters of God. Y'all, that is awesome news. Verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to To his dear son. What's the blessing here? Grace. Grace. Yes. Verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, Redemption. That's right. Um, And forgiveness of sin. Both. Redemption and forgiveness. There's two on verse 7. Um, verse 8, he has showered us. Verse 8 and 9, he showered us with kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. So, wisdom, understanding, kindness has been showered on us. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. What is the blessing here in verse 9? We have knowledge of God's secret plan. God has a plan for us. I'm going to skip to 11 and 12. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So what's the blessing here? Our inheritance. We have hope of a future inheritance. In verse 13 and 14, And now you Gentiles have heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you, and you have believed in Christ. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance he promised. So the presence of God's Spirit is another spiritual blessing. Okay, did you get all those? It's like we strung jewels on a necklace. Do you see that kind of layering effect? So many words, so many blessings. He's trying to explain what we receive when we're united with Christ, and it's, it, it's almost too much for our brains to handle. Um, okay, let's jump back up to verse 4 and 5. So, in verse 4 and 5, we realize that God had a plan, and he decided this in advance. Okay, let me take a drink, and then I'll get into this. (laughs) Um, Okay, verse 4 in the New International Version. I'm going to read it for you. So, y'all... Perk up, because you may be thinking, wait a minute, is that what Ephesians says? Because the NLT leaves out a couple of words that a lot of translations include that can be kind of head-scratching, okay? So, in the NIV, verse 5 is, um, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Okay? So he predestined us. And in the uh, NLT, it says even before the world, God loved us and chose us. He decided in advance is kind of how it's translated predestined, which is a little bit different. So um, predestination, like election, basically, this is how I'm going to, explain it. Some of you may have no clue what I'm talking about. Like, you're like, what what even word is that? Some of you have made serious theological decisions based on this idea. I am the wrong teacher to go into this with 15 minutes and 10 verses left, Okay. So what I'm going to do is give you a real brief kind of understanding There's a lot of ways to come at this, and there's whole denominations based on election and predestination and hardcore ideas in how you interpret this theological concept, okay? Um, One of the ways that people way smarter than me, theologians, Tim Backey for one, one of the ways that you can approach this, and I like this idea in this context, is that this is not referring to individuals, it's referring to a people group. It's referring to the people of God, okay? So predestination, like election, refers to the body of Christ as a whole, i.e. the church, all Christian followers from all time and becomes a reality for individuals only as they become part of that body through a living and active faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So he's not, like I said, this can be a whole semester on this this idea of predestination, but I believe what is being talked about here and one approach to it, and this is just where I'm going to land because it makes the most sense to me, especially with the time that we have, is that he's not talking about um, Daniel and Elizabeth and Sergio, specifically, I picked you, and I picked you, and I picked you, but he picked the body, he picked the nation of Israel. And he gave the law to carry the nation of Israel into his kingdom, and when the law failed, he, Christ, that's why, that was the plan all along, is that Christ was going to need to come to reconcile all people, unify not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, not just them, but also us. So it's more of a collective rather than an individual kind of approach to this idea, okay? Is that okay if I leave it there? Anthony is at the back at the end of (laughs) class. If you have real specific ideas or or questions about this, Um, man, it could have just kind of gone off into a whole different thing, but I want to keep it on this picture of who we are in Christ, okay? Is that okay? All right, we got through it. So this idea of chosen people, of course, started in the Old Testament with Abraham and Moses, with the people of God, um, the Israelites, of whom Paul was a member of. He was a member of, uh, uh, he was a Jewish, he was a a Jew. But through Christ, God made a new way, a new covenant that opened the door for all of us to be adopted. That was God's plan all along. He knew from the beginning he was going to have to send Christ in order to get us all adopted into his family. So, here's the bottom line I want you to go away with and rest your head on, on your pillow tonight. Before the beginning of the world, God loved you. That blows my mind, I don't get it, I don't understand it, how, that's how big God is. That's how in control of this world he is. And that's how much he loves you. Um, Okay. So, verse 6. So, Paul says, we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Um, Gifts of Jesus, here they are, his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness. He has showered kindness, his kindness on us, along with wisdom and understanding. All of these are gifts that come to us because of Jesus. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. Okay, a plan to fulfill his own good measure. Uh, fulfill his own, in his own good pleasure, okay? So he's leading up to the next two verses. Verse 9 is kind of the T, and verse, verses 10 and 11 wrap up this whole section. It's the whole, the whole point. So God's saying, uh, I mean, Paul is saying, God revealed, he apocalypsed, he unveiled his... um. This mysterious plan regarding Christ, I, I, now I get it, and I want you to get it, and I want it to transform you. Verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, Paul is saying, at the right time, God is going to bring everything under the authority of Christ. Everything, everyone, everything in heaven and on earth. Remember, this core concept, that it's a po- this is a poem, this is the key concept of the whole poem. Okay? Remember, the point is that we're going to reconcile all ethnic groups into one unified body, one unified people. That's the point. That's why Jesus had to come. Okay? Verse 11, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Okay? Sometimes this verse can be taken out of context. Everything works for the good of them that love the Lord. You know, everything works, oh, there's a plan, everything's gonna work out for his plan. Well, what is God's plan? That because of Jesus, everyone's going to come under Jesus' authority. That's the plan we're talking about. That's the good purpose. Okay, verse 12. God's purpose was that we Jews, so he's talking about uh, Paul is a Jew, so he's saying we Jews who were the first... To trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. If you'll remember from Matthew, our Matthew study last last year, um, Jesus, that's who he came for. He came first for the Jews. And he was, I mean, that's who he was going to. And what did the Jews do? They rejected him. And finally he's like, okay, well, here we go. We're going to open up the gates. I came first for the Jews, but then for um, uh, that they would uh, first trust in Christ and bring praise and glory to God. And now you, Paul is saying, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified, which I think in another version, he marked you, he sealed you, with the holy spirit he identified you as his own by giving you the holy spirit whom he promised long ago okay here comes in the third part of the trinity the third part of god thus the spirit of god the spirit is god's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people he did this so we would praise and glorify him Woo. Do you see how layered it is? This is is one of those passages, you guys, that you need to just sit with in your quiet time and take one phrase at a time and say, God, what do you want to teach me about you through this? What does it mean that you have showered me with kindness? How do you do that, God? How does Jesus show me kindness? How do I, how do I, how does your kindness reveal to me? How do I see your kindness? I mean, you could sit with that for a good half hour in a quiet place. You could say, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Wait, what? He He's going to adopt us into his family? Like, in all that you know about adoption, all that you know about families, like God is choosing you. He chose you before the beginning of the world. Um, you You could sit with this idea that God's plan is to bring everything under the authority of Christ. Everything. Our... How, how do you want to do that, God? How do you, what is it in my life that you want to bring under the author, your authority? How is this problem that seems too big for me to handle this morning, how do you want to bring that under the authority of Christ? Whether it be a physical, a material, a relational, an emotional, whatever need you might have, like sit and think, how, how does Christ want to bring that under his authority? Um, do you see what I mean? These are just like a few examples, but this is such a multi layered and multi dimensional. There's few passages that envelop the Trinity, the fullness, and the wholeness of God quite like this. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Ephesus. This, God has a plan. And everything comes to fruition because of who Christ is and what Christ does for us and who we are, like our core identity as a believer of Christ, what we get, our inheritance worth more than a billion trillion quadrillion dollars. It's our inheritance. And so, um, that is what he's trying to express in this very lyrical piece of praise and poetry that he begins this letter with you can just see paul sitting in a jail cell and this is what he's thinking about and trying to communicate can you imagine i it's hard for me to imagine kind of how this i would love to go back and see the movie of paul's writing this letter at that time to this church and the the love that he had for these people that he spent a couple of years with, just trying to get them to grasp the depth and the width and the breadth of the love that God has for them. It's going to be an absolute apocalypse. So, am I suggesting that being a follower of Christ? Should act like an apocalypse has happened to your life. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly what. How we should be approaching our life in Christ. Nothing should ever be the same again. All right. So, yeah, just a little light reading for a Wednesday night. All right. How about we?